Happy Sabbath and welcome again as we gather and spend some time with Scripture, but more importantly with each other. We are delighted that you have joined us as we are ready to chat about Sabbath and the end as part of our quarterly lesson looking at the message of the three angels. Let's uh, have a moment of prayer as we remember not only the message of the three angels, but this particular weekend in which our church remembers all of our members who have since passed away. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we want to thank you for life, for joy, for the promise of a future, for Jesus, for Sabbath, for creation, for your gift. We pray that you stay with us as we converse and that you continue with us as we move on through what will be a season of remembrance and a season of celebration. Thank you for remembering us and celebrating with us. We pray in your name. Amen. Joey, welcome. How are you today? Doing okay. Yeah, it's a somber Sabbath because we take the time to remember uh, many who have passed over the past year. And um, I know that I was talking to one of our our, our workers here at the church that the, the numbers, a number of people who have passed away this year, are, it's not quite as high as in some other years, but it seems like there have been quite a few of those who have passed who are were a lot more unexpected. Mm. Um, people who um, we did not expect to mm. be passing, and that always leaves a little bit of a deeper cut when mm. that when that happens. But um, yeah, we take time to remember and also remember not and and grieve, but not grieve as those who have no, no hope. But we look forward to something that is greater in the future as well. And I guess that's what this 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 lesson is sort of about too, right? The Sabbath is something that helps us remember the past, but also points forward to something better in the future. Yeah, that's a seamless way of putting it. And you're right. It's just, I guess it becomes more painful the longer you're embedded in a community. Mm. And I think that's part of why yeah. this particular year has been has been challenging. Um, we all know uh, we kind of started with uh, our dear friend Steve's funeral at the beginning of the year um, and how valiant, valiantly uh, Steve's family kind of coalesced around him. And then it seemed like it was funeral after funeral of people we, we know and love, uh, concluding with... Uh, just recently, one one who has been just a momentous figure here in Loma Linda, uh, our former head elder, Georgia Hodgkin, mm. who was one of the first. Uh, she was a, a trailblazer in the sense that she started developing job descriptions uh, for people here at the church in, in a time in the season where that wasn't done and where she was a woman elder, and not only a woman elder, but a woman head elder, in a time in which there was still debate on the role of women within the structure of a church. And mm. so I think it's, uh, those are just two names uh, out of a long, long list of names, all of them important, all of them missed, all of them leaving behind a legacy. So we, we grieve and we remember as a community those whom we have lost. Yeah, yeah. And, and, we, and we look forward to the day where our grieving will come to an end and we'll be able to meet them again and, and share the stories of the time that has elapsed and, um, and rejoice together. So we look forward to that day as well. We most definitely do. Yeah. Um, and that is, I think, the beauty of Sabbath, right? Mm. Because Sabbath provides, I think, a perfect receptacle for this human desire to remember. And so it's this time, this 24-hour period, where we remember, as you said, what God has done and the fact 
that God is a creator, but we also look forward to what God will do as we celebrate uh, God's redemption. And so there are these two realities that are deeply connected to the Sabbath, both in its invitation to consider creation and its admonition to hope for what God will do in the future. And that's why I think we keep coming back to the Sabbath. I mean, we've talked about the Sabbath repeatedly over our conversations mm-hmm. over many, many quarters. Sure some, some, I mean, one quarter was on the Sabbath, but other other conversations, the Sabbath has mm-hmm. come into play because it is such a seminal, I love how you said it, it's a container, it's a thing that holds um, remembrance and remembrance for the past and also for the future. And so it's really integrated very much into the life of Christians. And so I think I love I love how we get to talk about mm. that also in the context of the end and, mm. and what's going to be happening at the end of time as well. Yeah, that's that's a great way of putting it. I think what's important to, to realize is that as we're talking a little bit today about the book of Revelation, the Sabbath is important. I, I would venture to say, however, that it's not important for the reasons that we've typically made it important. Mm-hmm. Rather, it's important because it affirms two things. And the lesson touches on these two things. It affirms the creative reality that mm-hmm. is God. So God is intimately invested in this labor of love called creation. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is, and we talked about this before, it, the invitation of the first angel to worship God is an invitation to acknowledge that God's creative act is an act of grace. Mm. Um, as uh, Karl Barth puts it, creation itself is an act of grace. So there's that. But there's also this, this aspect of worship that the lesson touches upon, where Sabbath is not only an opportunity to remember God as creator, but it's also an invitation to worship. Mm -hmm. And the invitation to worship is one in we participate because worship itself is an act of creation. It requires creativity. And so in it, uh, you have kind of this this dual invitation, which I think I think was really really powerfully stated throughout uh, throughout this past week in our lesson. Yeah, I I love that that worship is an invitation to create. Um, I want to I want to dive into that a little bit more, but before we do, I, w- I want to take a little time to talk about what you said about remembering creation because um, I like how you phrased it or how you quoted Karl Barth this this idea that creation is an act of grace, right? Because a lot of times when we talk about remembering that we are creation and not the creator, it's almost like saying we are lesser than. Mm -hmm. But I loved how this lesson talked about, I think the quote was, uh, the essence of humanity's dignity is a common creation. The Mm -hmm. fact we are uniquely created by God places value on every human being. So because we are created by the master creator, we have inherent value. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading about uh, a Leonardo da Vinci uh, sketch, not even a painting of his. It's like a sketch of a bear. And I looked at it and it looks pretty amazing. It looks like a bear, but it's not even, it's not painted. It's just such, it's just a sketch. And it sold for $12 million. <laughs> if anything that I create sells for $12 million, I would be so happy. And yet the value of the sketch is in the fact that Leonardo da Vinci right. drew it. Like if if they didn't, if people didn't know that Leonardo da Vinci drew it, they even though it was it's a beautiful thing, they would not have paid $12 million for it. The value comes from the name that's on it. And we as, and I think that's what the the, the lesson is saying, that we as, as creations of God, we have that value because mm-hmm. God created us. And that creates that kind of inherent value that cannot be marred no matter how many, how many times we, we mar ourselves with right. the choices that we make. Yeah. yeah, that's that's not only is that powerful, but that also calls us back. And as I read this week, I thought not only about the value that human beings possess because of the fact that we are divine masterpieces created mm-hmm. by by God, but that we are all in the sense of 
uh, creations of God. We are all equal in, in even in the midst of our diversity. Yeah. So rather than than saying, hey, there's this hierarchy to who to how we were made, or um, there's this hierarchy to how we quote unquote evolved, um, the the act of uh, the statement and the confession of faith saying, hey, we are created and we are all created by the same God does imbue us with a certain sense of equality, even amidst our diversity. Mm -hmm. So not only do we have value because we are created by God, but we also, uh, because we are created by God, we are placed even, even as the world is trying to separate us into, into these hierarchical, hierarchical structures, God is saying, no, no, you are all the same because I all made you. And I took my time mm. thinking about how I was going to make you and how I was going to forge you. So remembering the creator, I think, does two things, not does those two things, not only in the sense of us saying, hey, God is above us, but as you mentioned, in the sense of kind of looking at ourselves as creatures and starting to treat uh, ourselves and each other in ways that are more attuned to our value. Yeah, to actually see value in each other and not see someone as being lesser mm -hmm. because they are different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love that phrase that you use, that, um, that we are different, but we are equal, mm -hmm. this idea. And in many ways, it is the fact that we are different that makes us valuable as mm -hmm. well. I mean, if Leonardo da Vinci painted two paintings that were exactly the same, maybe there would be mm -hmm. a little bit lesser value right. because there's two of them. But because each painting is unique, it, it imbues it with each artwork is unique. It imbues it with a certain value. And that's what God mm -hmm. is saying is each of you are unique masterpieces that I've created. Yeah, beautifully stated. And so these these masterpieces are invited to have a relationship. Uh, and this is, I, I thought a lot about art uh, this week, mm. and I think this is for me where the analogy broke down. Mm. Um, because these masterpieces are actually invited to have a relationship with the craftsperson or the artisan. But um, the, uh, the, the analogy then started making a bit more sense when I thought about not the relationship that the masterpiece has to the artisan, but the relationship that someone that's consuming the art mm. has with the creator. And so art evokes many, many different emotions, and those emotions are different and diverse, but the point of creating wonderful art, whether you disagree with it or you love it or you hate it or you consider it beautiful or you or you don't, the purpose by by which artists are moved is they want to create and instill emotional responses to their creation. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, then, art demands an emotional response. And so I love the fact that Sabbath gives us the opportunity or serves as a canvas to continue with the idea of mm -hmm. art, to explore different approaches, different emotional responses that we can have to the reality of being created as, uh, as God has made us. So Sabbath is not just a time for rest and rejuvenation, that's part of it, but it's also a chance, an opportunity to be involved with God, um, to respond to mm -hmm. God's grace and mm -hmm. favor upon our lives. And those responses need not only be overly intellectual. And mm -hmm. that's, I think, that's, I think, the part that we often forget. Uh, when God creates and God opens a space for communion, there, there ought to be some emotive expressions to that communion within the context or within the framework of the Sabbath. And those can look different mm -hmm. for, for people. We we often have this debate about Sabbath as um, the day in which you can go hiking or you can go to church. And uh, I think I think to have those debates, fun as they might be for a Sabbath lunch dinner table, I think to have those debates is to miss the wealth and the richness of Sabbath because Sabbath is a space to invite these emotional responses that we have towards the fact that we are here, we are alive, we are part of a creation that God is indeed called good and very good. Wow. 
So say some more about those emotional responses, because a lot of times, I mean, Adventism, maybe rightfully so, has been um, criticized as being mm. a very intellectual right. approach mm -hmm. to following God, right? So what 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 do you mean by an emotive response to to yeah. what God has done? Yeah, I, so that that simply is to state that even our worship services, even if for you, as, as is for many of us, your expression of joy in Sabbath is to think deeply about theological thoughts, th even that activity is not devoid of emotion. Mm. You are doing that. You are doing this highly intellectual act because you are responding with to to this reality that God has created, and that response is emotive. It's it can be awe, mm -hmm. right? I I recognize my reality as a creature. It can be wonder. It can be joy. It can be excitement. It can be exuberance. It can be discovery. There's a myriad of ways in which a creature is called to respond. But the response needs to be both intellectual, emotional, and sensory in the same way that when you have children uh, discovering a new environment, that discovery is punctuated by obviously emotive responses, right? Mm. You're responding emotionally to the environment. Experiential responses, you have to touch and process this information. And then obviously there's some rational responses as you start making sense of this new reality. And what I, what I think Sabbath gives us the opportunity to do is to focus solely on the act of discovery. Mm. Uh, instead of focusing on all these other things that we focus during the week. We focus, for example, on survival a mm. lot, right? We focus on making sure the system continues to operate. And the reason why God creates Sabbath is because God wants to create, wants to open up a space that is prime for discovery rather than uh, prompt, uh, prompted by survival, which is often what human beings are moved and motivated by. Yeah. And, and frankly, that's we we are so motivated by that, and that becomes so much of a part of our lives that our work almost becomes our identity, mm -hmm. right? Um, especially here in the United States. I remember, um, I remember we went on a cruise with um, some uh, some um, uh, two um, fellows from Germany. Uh, we were on a whale watching uh, boat trip. And we were just chatting and they asked what my wife did. And she said that she was a, a marriage and family therapist, worked with, at that time, she was working with troubled youth. And she, um, and she said the phrase, you know, I, I take troubled youth and uh, help them turn into productive members of society. And the, the, the two Germans laughed at that and they said, wow, what an American thing to say, right? Mm -hmm. To become productive members of society because... You know, I mean, uh, that's that seems to mm -hmm. be a big part of what it means mm -hmm. to be American. We're, we're supposed to be productive, right? And yet, as you've been pointing out, that is not that is perhaps what Sabbath teaches us is not at our the core of our identity. Our work is not our work does not define our worth, right? Mm -hmm. um, that the Sabbath teaches us that our that it is actually our worship of God. That is where our worth and that's where our primary actually work comes from mm -hmm. is in our worship of God on the Sabbath. And not just on the Sabbath, but the Sabbath reminds us of that, that it's a break from the fact that we were not created to toil endlessly, which in in the New Testament, that that was very antithetical to the 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 relationship that people had with gods at that time, right? In Greek mythology. Um, the gods were always against humanity and the humanity had to fight against the gods or appease the gods to finally get what they wanted. Um, I remember the, the mythology of Prometheus, mm -hmm. right? And Prometheus is, Zeus is trying to hide fire from hum humans so that they have to toil and suffer. And Prometheus goes and steals fire from Zeus and gives it to the humans. And they're able to have this almost like technological re a revolution because of it. And as a result, Zeus puts Prometheus, chains Prometheus to a mountain, and he's cursed to have an eagle eat his liver every single day and then have that liver grow back because he's divine and just suffer that 
continuously forever because humans that's the that, that's the relationship that that humans had with gods during that time and yet what we see in scripture is very different this the story is that god does not create humans to toil and labor uh, to only be productive but also that their inherent value comes from the fact that god created them mm. and that invites i think again this this reality that is present in our notions of Sabbath and that is the invitation to discover. Mm. And we've talked a little bit about this, but you're absolutely right in noting that most of the religious constructs out there are very afraid uh, of this concept or this notion of discovery. Mm. Let's face it, often uh, religion is used as a tool and faith is used as a tool for control. And so to discourage this idea of discovery, mm. to discourage the idea of opening up spaces for exploration um, is really, really something that most religions um, advocate against, right? Mm. But the reason for that is because ultimately religion as a tool for control is not what God, what God wants or wishes for us. Mm. And so Sabbath is, is coined not only in this language of discovery, but it's also couched in this language of liberation, mm. of freedom. And so you have this opportunity then on Sabbath to explore and discover and to open up new ways of understanding how you relate to God, how you express this inherent value that you have, how you relate to, to the environment that's, that's around you. And I think that is not only what is powerful about the Sabbath now, that does uh, play into our eschatology of Sabbath mm. because the question of Sabbath isn't just a question of the day you worship, although we will talk about that in, in a few minutes because it, there is definitely a component of worship uh, to the book of Revelation, as the lesson, lesson mentions. But what defines people as remnant in the book of Revelation isn't their capacity for proper worship on the day. They have a capacity for proper worship because they know who they're worshiping. Mm -hmm. And they know who they're worshiping because they have taken the time to discover who that uh, icon for worship is, who that, that God, that deity that they're worshiping is. And so Sabbath invites you to ask the question, how do I better follow Jesus? And because we're asking that mm. question, this question requires, as we said before, it requires some discovery. Mm. It's going to require some emotive uh, responses. It's going to necessitate some rational uh, imagination. It is also going to invite us to consider experientially, what does it mean for me to actually today in Southern California follow Jesus wherever he may, wherever he may go? And so I think when we're talking about discovery, we're not just talking about something ethereal. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about God and the fact that we have this break from work, like you're mentioning, we're not talking about something in purely idealistic and rationalistic ways we're actually talking about asking of the very asking the very pr practical question what does it mean to worship jesus what does it mean to follow jesus mm. as a citizen of this world in 2023 i love and i love how you phrase that as discovery because a lot of times like you said it's religion religion has been criticized and maybe again, rightly, <laughs> rightly so, of being so married to past forms that they can't adapt to mm -hmm. present realities, right? And you're saying that the Sabbath in itself is a message that says, take time to discover, mm -hmm. take time to look at uh, maybe a new way of doing things. We still keep to the principles of following Jesus, mm -hmm. but maybe look at how following Jesus may be a little bit different today than it was 20 years ago, 100 years ago, or 2,000 years ago. Mm. Though that, that 
the patterns that we follow because the realities of our world mm -hmm. are different may be a little bit different. And I think that bleeds right into our conversation of worship because mm -hmm. it's clear that John has this picture in mind, mm -hmm. right? The question of Revelation is, how do you worship? And who do you worship? Do you worship the lamb? Do you worship the beast? Mm -hmm. And Sabbath is ultimately a test of worship, not because it is the orthodox day to go to church and not because people that are worshiping on Sunday are worshiping something else. Let's get that, let's get that clear and out of the way. The reason why Sabbath is a test of worship is because Sabbath invites us functionally to consider the reality of following the Lamb wherever He may go. Mm -hmm. Sabbath is the moment when you say, if I'm a creature, then by de facto I have to have a Creator, and the invitation of this Creator is to follow the Creator, wherever the Creator mm -hmm. might lead us. And that's the power of, of Sabbath. To ask the question, uh, or to say that the day, and please understand, I don't mean that uh, going to church on, on Sabbath is wrong, or that I, it doesn't matter, I, I'm deeply Adventist culturally, but to ask the question of, is it Sabbath or is it Sunday, is to ask the wrong question. Hmm. The right question to ask is, in my Sabbath conversations, am I invested in form or function? Uh, we often are invested too much in form. Mm. And most of the conversations pertaining Sabbath, right, and pertaining the worship worship of Sabbath or, or worship on Sabbath are questions that have to do with form. Mm. But the purpose of Sabbath is functional. What, what better way is it to cognizantly recognize your status as a creation than to stop and halt in order to hear and to discern where the creator is inviting you to go. Yeah. Yeah. You have to stop in order to hear. Mm. Right. I, I think that's so powerful because even, even that phrase we, that we toss out all the time, we will follow the Lord wherever he may mm. lead. It implies that following Jesus is a dynamic activity and not a static one. Mm -hmm. Right. Because he is going to be leading somewhere um, and yet, in practice, a lot of times we don't want to move from where God has already led us in the past. Right. You know, we want, we're okay with where God has led us up to this point, but we want to set up camp here and remain here. Mm -hmm. Sort of like the Israelites when they were wandering yeah. in the desert, right? Exactly. They found a good spot, you know, with good water. They don't want to move on. They don't want to move on. They don't want to move into Canaan where there are giants, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want to move. They don't want to move out of Egypt where there, where there is food, right? Right. The, it's scary to follow God where he may lead. And it doesn't always make sense um, initially where God wants to lead us. And yet following God implies that he's going to lead us to a place that is mm. perhaps uncomfortable, but definitely different than where we are currently. Mm. And that is a frightening thing. And it's a frightening thing because that's it's not easy, easily discernible. Yeah. I mean, I... I know where I think God is leading me today. I don't know where God is leading you or Linda or any anyone else because that's a very personal thing that is happening vis-a-vis -vis your relationship with God. Hmm. And so I cannot then arbiter, be the ultimate arbiter of what God is doing or where God is leading you as hmm. he invites you to follow wherever he may go, which is why we we are so well versed in the art of mistaking mm. form for function mm. because form i can be the ultimate arbiter of i can say well look uh in the end there's going to be this remnant church and in the end it's all about the commandments and the faith of jesus and in the end there's going to be two churches uh, the whole world is going to be convinced that God is a good thing, and they're going to convince to be convinced that there is a God and that following that God is beneficial. With one caveat, caveat, they're going to have they're going to be invited to worship on Sunday. But there's going to be this other group, this remnant group that stay that stands true to the commandments and says, no, Sabbath is the is the correct day to worship. And so they're going to be persecuted for that. 
Again, it's a question of function mm. or form. Um, what, what if, though, the invitation of Sabbath, what if the reality of Sabbath, what if the reality of worship isn't found in the minutia of the details, but what if it's, it's found in the reality that if you don't stop, right, if you don't take this, this moment to reckon, this day to discover that you are shockingly a creature and that mm. you have a creator and that this creator is inviting to follow you, what if that's the real purpose of Sabbath? What if the real purpose of Sabbath isn't kind of this functional test uh, to, to discover, hey, uh, these are the people that are keeping the forms right mm -hmm. versus this other group. But what if the purpose of Sabbath is to say, do you trust God enough to stop and to listen and discern, to have some period of discernment to see where God is leading you? Mm -hmm. So going to the heart of the purpose of the Sabbath rather than than focusing on the details of how Sabbath is practiced, um, how Sabbath was practiced mm. in the past, and so trying to hold on to that right. form. Right. Listen, I just read an article, Joey, about our brethren in the Southern Baptist Convention. They lost 1.5 million members last year. Wow. And most of the, the vast majority of those are not going to any faith tradition. The real, real threat the existential threat to those of us who claim Christ as creator isn't churches that are salad, that are worshiping on Sunday. The real threat is this new church that focuses and worships me. Hmm. This new church that is self-focused, self-led, uh, self-actualized, self-involved, selfish. That's the threat. And Sabbath is a beautiful antidote against that particular form of, of faith and belief because it says you can't, it's not all about you. Hmm. It's about a space for discovery and an invitation to figure out something else. Yeah. Yeah, that is the threat. Although I'm not sure how new it is. <laughs> it's not new. <laughs> this is what's brutal about it. It's been the reality yeah. forever, yeah. right? Um, when, even when the world was completely Christian, the threat was that people started saying, well, I speak for God. And so I am, again, mm. these questions of form versus function. I am the ultimate arbiter of what worship ought to be. Yeah. When we, and the invitation of Sabbath is an invitation that is more functional. Yeah. It reminds us that we are not the center of mm. the universe. Correct. That God is the creator and we are creations. Um, and that both, I love how, I mean, we, we had continuing conversations with emails with other people about this, but I love what you had said about the order of things mm -hmm. that we are not to devalue ourselves, but we're not supposed to overvalue ourselves either, that there is a place in that created order that, that we are not God, mm -hmm. but we are not beasts as well. Right. Yeah. Right. And so when when you're thinking about that created order you see that sabbath plays this really really important role mm -hmm. um because not only is it not only is it an invitation to discover and not only does that discovery lead to worship but ultimately it's an invitation to dream as well mm -hmm. right uh, revelation 21 the lesson mentioned this a little bit John says, and I saw, and there was no more sea. And mm. every time I read that, it's just, it's just so heart-wrenching because all he can see is sea. Mm. And you've been, you've been in Patmos. Mm. You look at the beautiful Mediterranean coast, and then you realize that John can no longer see his community mm -hmm. and that that sea, that divide, uh, that territorial divide, that landmark that is making it impossible to connect with the community he so loves, is very similar to the existential divide that exists between the creature and the creator when all we want is to see him again. There is this, this gap this, that, we, that he bridges, thankfully. And so Sabbath is an invitation uh, to discover, 
that we are creatures, mm. to worship the one who created us, and then to dream about what ultimate reconciliation might look like. Yeah, in a world that we're no longer divided by sea from the mm. people that we love. Mm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And, you know, centering on that idea of community, because we've talked about before how community is such an essential part of how God created humans to be, not just in communion with God, but in communion with each other. So I wanted to ask you, um, you had talked about earlier how the ways that God is leading me may be different than the ways mm -hmm. that God is leading you and the ways that God is leading Linda, your wife. So th there, is, there is difference in the ways that God leads us. How does that work out in a community of faith? If each person is being led by God and it may be in different ways, how how do we still maintain mm. the sense of community mm. and the same sense of connection? Mm. And is there a communal direction that God is leading us as well? Yes, yes to all <laughs> those questions, right? Um, I think the way in which the way in which you start to answer that um, depends on uh, it depends a lot on your faith tradition. Uh, let's let's be frank and let's let's own that. Yeah. Um, a lot of uh, faith families within the Christian tradition say, well, yeah, absolutely, God is leading us communally. But that really means that God is leading some of us in the community. And um, if we're quick and we make our voice heard, then we can kind of decide where God is. <laughs> There's other faith communities that truly believe that God is leading us as a community. The, uh, the Quaker tradition is a beautiful tradition that doesn't move unless there is common consensus because they believe that the spirit mm. is leading them. Uh, so communally, they will not move until there is common consensus. And yet they also believe that each one of us has a particular mission to follow. And so the question that you ask at a Quaker gathering is, Does has anyone heard from the spirit? And the implication with that question is that yes, somebody, uh, or many of us will, will hear from the Spirit, and the Spirit will say different things for us. And it is in the midst of healthy, thoughtful conversation that we find our common consensus. That, I think, is a wonderful way uh, in which we as Adventists could, could start applying this. Has anyone heard from the Spirit? The idea is that we've all heard from the Spirit and that we've all heard different things from the Spirit. So how can we be mo the most representative um, so that every voice uh, is heard. And mm -hmm. I think the way in which you do that is you begin to ask the questions, who are we not listening to? Hmm. Wow. I love that because, I mean, the point of Robert's Rules of Order, and we're having a lot of conversations yes. about Robert's Rules of Order lately because our the conference, the particular conference that we're in, is going to be having a constituency session that happens every five years. It's happening this year in October. And so we've talked about it. But the point of Robert's Rules of Order and the reason why we follow is, is ostensibly to so that we can actually listen to each other, mm -hmm. right? That's the point of it. So that right. voices can be heard. You follow all these rules. Everybody follows the same rules. So everybody has an equal chance to be heard. And yet, unfortunately, I, I'm not putting this on the chair people of, of these meetings or, or anything, but how I've seen it in real happen in real life, often what happens is not that it's an opportunity to help people be heard, but really an opportunity to kind of control the conversation right. and to lead it where we want it to go. How can we use the Roberts Rules of Orders to sort of navigate the conversation mm -hmm. where we want that conversation to go? It's it's a very antagonistic type of thing where we are speaking up against each other whether, rather than speaking cooperatively to hear each other and to hear from the Spirit. And um, maybe that's that's because we're human and we're sinful. But it is it is interesting that in a different faith tradition, they do they operate in a different format so that there is value put on every individual voice and an understanding that God is speaking to every single one of us and that if we want to hear God, we have to be listening to each other. And the most complete picture comes when we all come together with our picture our our little pieces and we listen to one another. And the most amazing thing with with Quaker gatherings is that the question that is asked isn't only have we heard from everyone, 
but it's have we had our minds changed? Mm. Because ostensibly, that's what happens when you start hearing the Spirit. Yeah. If you if you always got had the right answers, then you wouldn't need the Spirit. So the <laughs> so the true test of the Spirit is: Have I changed? Mm. Has my position changed? I find, as you're saying, and this isn't just Adventism. Yeah. Uh, it happens in most institutions. It probably even happens in the Quaker uh, tradition if you have enough time to dig through how they actually uh, they actually uh, run their polity. I find often, though, that the, that we never ask that question: Have I changed my mind, or have I had my mm. mind changed? And I think that, on top of hearing voices that are disenfranchised and being particularly attuned to those voices, the second question is: Is my mind changing? Yeah. Uh, because if if the Sabbath is truly about discovery, if Sabbath is about following, mm. and if as as you mentioned earlier. Following is uncomfortable because we don't know where it's going to lead. Then the question has to be, am I uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. That's a question that has to be asked as we as we are navigating these both individual and corporate calls uh, where the spirit is leading us. Am I uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. And if your answer to that is no, then maybe it's time for some discomfort. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Because again, Following God is a dynamic mm -hmm. activity, which means that if we're really listening to him and following him, it's going mm -hmm. to lead us somewhere. Mm -hmm. And usually as humans who resist change mm -hmm. and like things to be the same mm -hmm. all the time, that change is going to be a, at least a little bit uncomfortable mm -hmm. for us. But I, I love what you said about listening. Like, have I changed my mind? It reminds me of what, what one of my professors always said. He said, the point of the goal of listening is transformation, mm -hmm. your own transformation. And that's so op opposite to the way that I often listen, mm -hmm. where I listen so that I can transform the other person. Right, right. right. <laughs> I listen to them so that I can figure out, okay, what are the cracks in their argument mm -hmm. that I can expose so that I change their minds? And yet true listening, empathetic listening, is actually inviting the other person to have an opportunity to change my mind, which is... Not really the way that I've seen a lot of church meetings mm. run. Mm. No, no, neither have I. Mm. Neither have I. But that's, that's, I think, the true mark. I mean, we're going to go back to Revelation. Yeah. When you're asking about the remnant, that's the mark of the remnant. Mm. It's their ability to cope with that discomfort. Mm. It is discomfort that forces the the disciples to, to abandon Jesus. It is discomfort that uh, causes Peter to unsheath his sword. Our capacity to navigate discomfort is what determines if we have the courage to follow wherever the Lamb may go. And so discomfort for me is to admit that my neighbor, who's a police officer, and who happens to go to mass every every Sunday mm -hmm. is okay, and that's very uncomfortable because I'm like, well, he's watching me, and um, I don't want to. If if the Sunday law comes, I don't want him to knock on my door and to take me and to uh, you know throw me in jail. That's that's the image that I grew up with. It's much more uncomfortable for me to say, well, maybe he's okay in his own journey, and maybe the best way that. I can be an Adventist to him is make him a better Catholic. Mm. And maybe his best, the best way that he can be a Catholic is influencing me to become a better Adventist. And that, that is true discomfort. And I think that's what the remnant is being invited to. It's being invited to navigate our differences, differences that make us uncomfortable mm. with grace, with compassion, and as you mentioned, with a lot of empathy. Mm. Wow. And that is very different than the way that we've traditionally thought about this, this journey, right? Especially when it comes to the end, especially when it comes to judgment, because we see a judgment as basically a line in the sand. Right. It says you're either on this side of the line or you're on this side mm -hmm. of the line. Will that never happen? Will God never put a line in the sand and say, you know, you're either in or out? Mm -hmm. how, how, do, how do we navigate that, that reality, that... I mean, because the way that we handle judgment here in, in this world is a judge basically makes a decision, right? And says, 
well, you were on this side of the law or you were on this side of the law. Right. I mean, I don't know a lot about <laughs> the right. law. I, I only know what I watch on TV, right. right? So that's how it happens on TV. Let, let, let me put it that way. But but is that, I mean, it, is there going to be a lot more nuance than that? I think there is, because mm. if that were it, then we'd all be in trouble, mm. right? If... If there was, and I want us to just consider how sometimes irrational and ludicrous this inability to navigate discomfort has made us. You're absolutely right. What is asked in, in, in a legal proceeding is, here's the law. Were you on this side or that side of the law? And if you were on that side of the law, then what you're negotiating now is the punishment. Hmm. How do we, and attorneys make a lot of money negotiating uh, punishments. Uh, well, you know, there's mitigating circumstances, but your status isn't different. You are guilty and there, there has to be a punishment. And Protestantism for 500 years has said that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. And Christianity for 2000 years has said that's not how it works. If you are to judge, uh, are you on this side or that side of the law? Guess what? We're all on the other We're side. We're all on the other <laughs> side. And so what I, I've, I've started to, to kind of change uh, my mind a little bit on what judgment is. Mm. Um, and in order to do that, I started listening. I started actually reading a book written uh, by an attorney. Um, and she now works. Uh, she couldn't do the criminal system anymore because she saw that our criminal system was irreparably broken. Mm. Um, and there were a lot of reasons that led her to that. Chief among them was the fact that about 2% of all cases actually go to trial. Most of them are 98% are plea bargained. And uh, your capacity to bargain is intimately linked to issues like your gender, your, your race, uh, your socioeconomic status, et cetera, et cetera. So she was done with that. And then she was done with the fact that for, for those who were declared guilty, the criminal system was not about rehabilitation, it was punitive. This is in her mind. Um, I'm not saying that this is uh, a blanket statement or that this happens with every single judge in every mm -hmm. single case, but this is what she saw practicing law. So she says she shifted and she instead decided to do juvenile court because in juvenile court, it's not what side of the law are you on? It is how do we get to you to have a future that is life affirming and life giving. What tools, what, how does the system create mm -hmm. the tools and uh, how does the system aid you in having the best future going forward? And so rather than trying to punish, what we're actually trying to do, what the, uh, what the youth legal system tries to do is it tries to give you some help some tools. And she found that, uh, and she's now a judge in, uh, in juvenile court, and she found that to be much a much better way of looking at judgment. Mm. I think God is less a, uh, a judge that is saying, hey, this is where you are on, on the line, more a juvenile court law judge who is saying, how can I best help mm. you to be, to, be the, to be the version of yourself that I created you to be? How can I best help you to see the inherent value that you possess? Wow. How can I best help you in order for you to be at peace with me, with yourself, and with your environment? And the proof is in the pudding, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I don't know much. I don't know who's going to be in heaven. I don't know in the, and I'm so happy that I don't get to determine that. But if, but the people that are going, that God is going to say, you follow me wherever I go, are going to be people like Francis of Assisi. They're going to be people like Ignatius of Loyola. They're going to be people like Billy Graham, who did, who did not step foot in a church on a Saturday, yet they lived Sabbath consistently through their lives. And I think for those of us who do step foot on in churches on Sabbath, the invitation is how do we continue with this great gift and this great truth that we have? How do we continue emphasizing not the form, but the functionality of Sabbath? 
That's so beautiful because the reality is regardless of what we believe will happen at the end of time at, at, at the final judgment, what we have seen consistently throughout history is God is a lot more restorative than humans are. Mm -hmm. Humans are great at punishment. Mm. We're not good at restoration. Mm. And throughout scripture, what you see mm. is God is always trying to restore. Even when he pronounces the most dramatic punishments in the prophets, yeah. immediately after, what do you see? You see restoration. And that is our God. And so that is that's the only reason why any of us mm. have any kind of hope. Mm. That's so true, Joey. And the beauty is that the the problems right you mentioned the prophets and i know we're almost out of time you mentioned the prophets uh, the prophets actually continually called the people to stop going to church on sabbath that's what amos said don't come to church please don't come to church if you're not being if you're not if the other six days of the week you're not being just you're not mm. being merciful don't come to church mm. And so I think when it comes to God, uh, the, the temptation is to believe that God is every bit as insecure as we are. Mm. And so God says, I need you to worship me in the right way at the right time in, with my preferred type of music. And that's not what God, what God wants. God's, mm. God says throughout scripture, the best way that you worship me is that you see me as a creator imprinted in the face of the people that you encounter in your everyday life. Wow, beautiful. Why don't you pray, Joey, as we, as we conclude today? Our good and gracious God, you've imprinted yourself in each and every one of us. And yes, there are times where we scratch and we carve and we muddy that imprint, but no matter what we do, that imprint, your image is on every single one of us. Help us to see that value in ourselves, but also to see that value in each other and to see that you are working at work in every single one of our lives is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So enjoy this Sabbath because you were wonderfully and beautifully made. See you next week. Mm -hmm.